Podcast Network. All right, let's go do what we have to do. We can talk again later. <laughs> This is the Extra Hot Great Podcast, episode 122 for the week of July 11th, 2016. I am Share Taxi Medallion David T. Cole, and I'm here with Kitchen Island of Shame, Sarah D. Bunting. I see you, Manny Pixie Dream Girl. Knife Game, Joe Reed. I see you've played Knifey Spoonie before. Ow! <laughs> Pissy Cat Passenger Tire Ariano. Well, turn your light off then. And Eczema Cream Pharmaceutical Rep, Allison Lohup. It's moisturizing. <laughs> and on that classy note, hello everyone, we are back. I am back from vacation, and Allison Lowe Huff is back with us to talk about the night of. Welcome, Allison. Hello. Thank you very Yay! much. Okay, okay. Thank you. Uh, the, the night of is... Um, <laughs> Allison suffers the, no fools. <laughs> <laughs> That'll do pigs. Yeah, uh, okay. The night of is the latest, um, I guess, event series from HBO. It is a sort of crimey thing that um, stars John Turturro and a cast of HBO prestige project tertiary character actors. And it follows the case of a kid who borrows his father's taxi, picks up a mini pixie dream girl, does some drugs, does some fucking, wakes up at the kitchen island. She's dead. Maybe he killed her. Maybe not. Um, I was pretty excited about this. The minute I saw the casting, I thought that it would be a like true detective season one styles project not realizing that it was a remake of Criminal Justice Series 1, a British show starring Ben Wishaw and Pete Postlethwaite, RIP. Mm-hmm. Um, I am interested to hear from our panelists who did not watch Criminal Justice because Al and I talked about that show on Previously.TV, and I'm wondering how our experiences of the show differ um, if we did or did not watch Criminal Justice. Anyone? Uh, I'll start. I would have probably guessed that this was a remake of a British show, even if I hadn't known that from the moment that the detective, whose name is Box, right? Is that his name? Yes. When he yeah. he uh, sits down with the suspect, Nas, and, and in the interrogation room, and because his manner is very reminiscent to me of how detectives are in British shows, he's not confrontational at all. Um, and he uh, uses a technique that I've, I know, Sarah, you've probably read about in The New Yorker that, that British cops use, where it's just like, we're just trying to understand the facts. It's not aggressive. It's not trying to trick the suspect into saying anything. It's just very calmly, like, tell me your side of the story in a way that I feel like we never, ever see on American procedurals. Um, and that guy was my favorite character, by the way. Uh, and even though I, he did sort of rook the kid into telling him a whole bunch of shit that he shouldn't have without asking for a lawyer which made me very tense like it's like this kid grew up in america he's an american citizen surely he's seen a cop show before and knows if they say you don't have to do it don't do it but i mean that that just ratchets up the tension of the episode and uh i was really on the edge of my seat the whole way through i thought it was great joe what did you think yeah i mean i think the elements in and of itself being, you know, 
a dead girl. She's it's area right in that she's a, that sort of like pixie dream girl, like not a real actual person, but just sort of a a means to a lot of ends. Um, this kind of story f- would feel familiar, but I think it's the it feels almost, and it's because, and we'll t- I'll talk about this later, but it's probably because I'm in the mindset of watching Show Me a Hero that I'm in this sort of like David Simon, holistic, all parts of the machine kind of place. And I think this scratched that itch a lot, where you see not just the procedural stuff, but like the kinds of procedural stuff you don't uh, normally see, or at least you don't see all of. And like, you know, getting the the guy he gets basically brought into the police station because they don't have anywhere else to put him because they need to go like attend to this seemingly unrelated thing and it turns out to not be unrelated but just the booking and the chain of custody with the evidence and it all sort of seems to revolve around the same kind of nexus in the police station and watching that unfold was really fascinating to me and then it allowed these sort of personalities to emerge within that, which I thought was really cool. And um, I just wanted to talk very briefly about the cast because it's one of these casts where you watch sort of like movies and you see, you sort of bemoan the fact that like actors of color don't get, they get maybe like one good chance to show off and then you don't really ever see them again. And it's, this is a movie that's giving actors that I've liked in other things where it's just like, okay, because Riz Ahmed, who plays Nas, um, was so good in that movie Nightcrawler with Jake Gyllenhaal. And of course, like, he's Jake Gyllenhaal, so he's going to get all the credit. But like, Riz Ahmed was really good in that movie. And it's really good to see him getting sort of a follow-up role. The guy who plays his dad was in an Iranian movie called A Separation, which won the Foreign Language Oscar a few years ago. And it's really great to see him again. He was fantastic in that movie. I'm really excited to see um, that character sort of emerge. And then the the woman cop who pulls him over um, is named Sekhan Senglo, I believe is how we pronounce that. And she was just Tony nominated for a play called Eclipsed with Lupita Nyong'o. So it's it's really sort of rewarding to see these actors who I you know I know they can do it because I've seen them other things and they're getting a really good showcase here. So I like that. Yeah, this is a great cast. Um, it is amazing to me that they found this guy who is like the American or, you know, Pakistani American equivalent of Ben Wishaw in the original series, because his performance was really amazing. And right on that line of like being a scared boy and being a man in the world. And uh, I thought that the actor they found for the American version, like right on that line also, which is amazing. Allison, did you agree? I totally agree. Um, Ben Wishaw was such a, (laughs) like the nervous nail biting, you know, like squirrel half the time in criminal justice. (laughs) And so it, and and it, I remember when I was watching that show, like Tara was saying, like I was on the edge of my seat the entire time, just so scared for this kid. And I was like, do I want to go through this again? Because it was super real. And this, this was, I mean, it got me right away, even though I, I know what's going to happen if it stays uh-huh, true. Me too. Um, but it got me right away. Um, I loved it. I mean, I think it, it's totally worth watching. And if, if I had any doubts at all, as soon as I saw Torturo on screen, uh, I, I yeah, I was totally in. I, I love him. I was just amazed at how slow the pacing is in this first episode. I mean, it was a it was mm-hmm. a ninety minute 
thing, but like how much stuff they leave in that you just never see. I mean, to Joe's point of like the process of how it works and the the waiting just the, how much you see yeah. Nas just waiting in this lobby to see, like, are they going to figure out I'm associated with this this other crime that they're investigating or not? And where do I go? And, like, to the point where you actually see him realize, oh, I could probably just walk out of here and it would be fine. And then that's, like, the last possible second when he couldn't walk out. I mean, yeah. just the, way, the suspense that they ratchet up with all of this kind of what would be on any other show like just banality <laughs> you know like it's the the lack of action makes it so tense to watch dave you're not really a procedural person what did you think of the episode uh you know it's weird to have all this sort of like waiting around which seems very true to the process you know like things don't happen you know you're <laughs> you come into the station you're not processed right away you know even uh, in the middle of the night uh, even in the middle of the night I- Am I the only one who can speak firsthand to the being arrested? Oh, uh-huh. uh, do tell. Um, it's boring. Like it's it's mostly just boring. <laughs> I, granted, I had not you know I was not carrying a gigantic blood coated knife, <laughs> and I was stoned, which helped. <laughs> also, can we just all take away the lesson from this that like if you ever find yourself waking up in the middle of a bloodbath of which you're not sure to what degree you participated, don't ever run back to get the knife. Like whatever you left there, it's gone. Just go. <laughs> anyway, didn't he run to get his inhaler though? Oh, was that it? Was the inhaler uh, okay? Or fair. maybe I'm just um, projecting that from the first one. I mean, I think it really is amazingly tense. It might have been the keys to the cab, actually, that he went in and get, which, Maybe? fair. Yeah, uh, finishing thought, the... Thank you. Uh, yeah, sorry. Sorry. So, um, yeah, so all the kind of the slow burn stuff that seemed very true to life. And then they kind of ruin it with this live journal junkie of a character, <laughs> which seems so, like, <laughs> out of her element in this show like it was just like from another screenplay like if if so much seems true so much seems you know uh real visceral that character was just like okay like she just walked in from another project and they plopped her in and that really took me out of it uh a lot because it just seemed so um (laughs) so but after she is uh killed it kind of settles into what i assume would be the tone of the series but i think that was a misstep the way that character uh uh was written and won't uh, see her no more no uh (laughs) i didn't really get why the character besides for the dramatic reveal uh needs to put a knife in his pocket why would anybody put a knife in a pocket like that um, it's a very pointy thing that cuts <laughs> flesh. You don't put it in your pocket. Uh, I didn't really think that was uh, something that would have happened. I think that's something you stuff under the seat and just hope nobody checks. Um, but you're right, the slow burn stuff. Well, I mean, these are things that take me out of it, right? I mean, that was written so that it could be the reveal at the station, but it just didn't seem like something that would happen. And they're kind of convenient conveniences that the writers allow themselves that maybe could have been written a different way. Um, but um, the, the police process as slow as it is uh, and the way that the lawyer kind of stumbles upon it and everything like that, it is like an interesting slow burn dramatic building process that really works. 
And, you know, Joe was uh, mentioning earlier about um, uh, Nightcrawler. And I feel like it's almost has that kind of feel to it, you know, except where things get, things are slow. And then there's like this action packed moment. <laughs> things are just always slow. And it's just sort of like this, this powder keg waiting to blow up. And uh, it kept me, kept me going for uh, episode two, even after I thought the first half was a little weird of this episode. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's sort of a um, unfortunate aspect of both versions that um, you are more than happy that the girl gets killed. Like I, I feel like <laughs> yes. maybe that's, I mean, they, they only have a limited amount of time to sort of flesh out as it were this poor woman before <laughs> she just becomes like kind of the MacGuffin pixie dream girl that sets everything in motion. But um yeah, I mean, it, I felt the same way about the British one that it was like, okay, like I know the premise of the show. Anytime someone wants to kill her, I'm good with it. <laughs> I do feel like there's probably a case to be made that because of the sort of relative low-key quality to everything else in his life before and after, that that little sort of oasis of, uh, for lack of a better term, like exoticism uh, in that encounter – would sort of at least explain why he would have, you know, kept himself in that situation. And it's very sort of like heightened and stylized and kind of like cinematic, even maybe for cinematic sake. But like, I can at least sort of fan wink that. It felt into... like something out of True Detective, yeah. not this show. Oh, yeah. 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 Well, and you could and see also, why HBO would be, you know, interested in that for that there's reason. There's that like after hours yeah, feeling to it meaning the Scorsese picture that right. like the city is strangely empty and yet there's always someone watching crazy around <laughs> and also that similar quality um, to Griffin Dunn's character in that movie of like here you're supposed to feel that um, the character is sort of powerless within the system but then I think the part of the lead up to this is to show that he really does not have any active agency in his right. life Generally, so while he is being buffeted to a certain extent by, you know, criminal justice, then, you know, how much of that is the system and how much of that is his personality's buffetability? Yeah. <laughs> and I think you see a little bit of that quality in the, the pre presentation of suspects as you go through, where it's like there's a lot of people sort of like paying curious attention to the things that uh, that Nas and, and the girl are doing, whether it's the the second friend of the of the two guys who give them a hard time as they're walking into her building, the one that we don't see show up again at the police station, who I seem to be fixating on now in terms of like suspects but like there's the weird guy at the gas station putting out a cigarette in the window and that kind of stuff just feels heightened but in a way that like oh no we're supposed to be like we're supposed to be paying attention to this so right, everybody's in for the duration yeah, oh yeah what, what were you gonna say allison oh i was gonna say that i feel like in the british version also those you know extraneous you know random people on the street they do come back in in ways that you just don't think, you know, these witnesses and their statements and the looseness of them and how they can damn a person, you know, when what they're seeing is really very innocent. It's, it's a great show. And yes, I'm in as well. Uh, as long as we don't find out that lady's cat was named like Gossamer or something <laughs> like that, I guess I can stick around. 
I'm, I'm not, pretty I don't sure think the cat's I'm as rapturous about the show as you guys are, but um, <laughs> I do enjoy a show that takes its time. If it is interesting, I'll put a, a pin in that one. We'll talk about something that relates to that later in the show. But uh, certainly this is well-crafted, and I really do like the detective character. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm so sick of the gruff, yes. hard-drinking, yeah. you know, career cop who blah, 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 <laughs> um, that this is... Uh, uh, a refreshing change of pace. That actor, by the way, uh, Mr. Elizabeth Marvel in real life. I Get know. out of here. Wow. Yeah. I knew yeah. you would notice that. She Thanks, was Joe. at the Tonys. He was a Tony nominee this year, and all of a sudden they cut to him in the audience, and there she was. I was like, ah. Oh, I liked him in Manhattan, too. He was good. Yeah, yeah I'm in for sure. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, The Blotter Presents is back, and so is a topic near to Dave's heart. (laughs) D.B. Cooper. (laughs) Yeah, let's do it. (laughs) Yeah, basically, we um, really only included this segment so that we could hear the music, Um, but D.B. Cooper, case closed, is a two-night event on History Channel that, as you listen to this, will have concluded last night, Monday night. Um... I have watched one night of it as we record this. It's fairly typical History Channel fare in terms of like the filler, the B-roll of detectives and journalists like, you know, behold me detectiving and reportering (laughs) and, you know, typing meaningfully. But um, it is, it's pretty good. Like, it's pretty interesting. They did the deep dive into the case itself, which... It's always a crapshoot with these shows if you know the case pretty well because it can be really boring. They did it really well. They threw in some information that I didn't know about before. They reviewed some of the more crazier suspects and then the investigators on this show were shown like just staring into the middle distance and trying not to crack up <laughs> at this lady, Marla Cooper, who's like, my Uncle Dewey, like, <laughs> D- no, like you lost me a Dewey. That's that's not a thing that happened. And also, I completely forgot there was a suspect that is a trans person, and she had already transitioned by the time the skyjacking took place. So I'm not really clear on their timeline there. But anyway, it's a it's a good overview. It's not too much filler. And the suspect that they have come up with, which you finally get to hear in the last like five minutes of the two hour first episode, uh like I'm in so far but you know like it's a little cheesy but if you like the case this is worth watching you can just sort of fast forward to the halfway point of the of the first one if you're watching it on demand and jump in from there but yeah DB Cooper uh I still don't know if it's case closed right now it's still case closed <laughs> I love when they put a question mark in there like yes. we're keeping all our options open yeah you we decide sued. yeah but that said you know if if you were there is a law in, in I, I I am I am I am not a crackpot shows that actually don't get a, a definitive answer should be forced to put that question mark on right. the titles yeah and can you imagine how many titles you have to change at like the history channel and all their kind of like uh 
you know, quasi occult and, and paranormal <laughs> and supernatural shows mm, yeah. or even like conspiracy and their conspiracy shows as sure. well. You know, mm-hmm. uh, Hitler alive, the, <laughs> you know, or whatever, because well, like it it's 80% it, of their, it, it would immediately turn into ancient aliens. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> All those shows. Yeah. yeah. Finding Bigfoot. All right, it is time to go around the dial. Our first stop is Tara Ariana. Well, unlike the rest of you with your Real Housewives and your below deckings, uh, I only watch one show on Bravo, hey. and that is called Flipping Out, which returns this week for its guess what season it is. Anyone? Seventh. Nope. Eighth. Ten. Ninth. Wow. Sarah's. Ninth? Oh, my God. It's the ninth oh, season. I went over. Really? Believe it has, or not. Has Jenny not killed him yet? What in the world? No, like, she's pregnant Jesus. again, judging by her later in the season talking heads, apparently. Anyway, Bravo oh sent over screeners for the first two episodes. It's, it's having a two-night premiere event. Really, Bravo's oh, flipping God. out. Um, on Wednesday and Thursday this week. Um, so I watched both of them this weekend. I, the thing about flipping out is, first of all, Jeff Lewis is hilarious to me. I know the whole premise of the show is he's a complete fucking monster. I just think he has not met enough people that get his sense of humor because it's very, very dry and mean. And I appreciate that. Yeah. For reasons. <laughs> you know why. Um, but also, uh, <laughs> I love his partner, Gage, who he's still with, um, mostly because <laughs> I'm, I'm still holding out hope uh, the whole time that he was on. Um, during the SNL years that Seth Meyers was on, I was praying that someone there would like make a strong enough pitch for Seth Meyers to play Gage in a sketch about flipping out, even though no one cares about this show but me, and I know that. But now that he's on uh, Late Night with Seth Meyers, maybe he could play Gage in a sketch on that show. Will not happen. Um, there's still not <laughs> enough house stuff in the show for my taste. In fact, the whole second episode, they barely do any house stuff at all, other than take down a ce- uh, chandelier from an extremely high ceiling that is legitimately tense and scary. Um, however, it's still a good show. Um, there's enough makeover reveals. There's a little brief mention of the Megan Fox, Brian Austin Green divorce in the premiere because that was a storyline last season that he was redoing their house. And now that's like in suspended animation because they were maybe getting divorced. But maybe now they're not. Question mark. Anyway, flipping out on Bravo. If you uh, like HGTV programming, but wish it was even bitchier somehow, it is the show for you. Um, and for my parents, Tara, here's what, yes, sorry, go before ahead. you start, here's what I would require to watch flipping out because I watched it limitedly and I do see its appeal. Mm-hmm. I would need them to have, because I know the degree to which how fake the show is. Sure. Um, I would need them to have an episode where Zoila wins the lottery and, <laughs> uh, and then moves out and sort of is granted her financial freedom that way. Because like Rosario on Will and Grace? <laughs> Basically, yes. Like, I can't deal with, like, the cutesy, like, look at our funny, like, uh-huh. South American maid. Sure. Like, that bothers me. Yeah. Other than that, uh, I, I agree with you that it's he's more – he's darkly funny, but also, mm-hmm. like – a purposeful pain in the ass. Yes. Anyway. Well, I will tell you that I don't know about her winning the lottery, although she has had some plastic surgery on Jeff Lewis's dime sure in past seasons. He, she did. She got yeah. an eye job and I think she got a boob job too. But there's a scene where she's like supposedly doing her house manager job wearing like full Chanel earrings. And like she does several of her talking heads in <laughs> Chanel earrings and a matching necklace. Like, come on. Uh, anyway, for my plugs, uh, I want to mention last week on previously.tv, it was must see TV week. We had a 
lot of fun, huge amount of friends content if you're into that. So um, I will link that in the show notes uh, where you can go to the page where all of the stories are collected. And also um, ongoing this this weekend, all this summer, uh, several marathon diaries are going on. Eve, uh, as you hear this, if you listen to it the day it drops, <coughs> will be starting her Sex and the City Marathon Diary today. And Daniel McEachern is still covering uh, the, <laughs> the middle-aged man <laughs> disappearing up a middle-aged man's ass, the Louis Marathon Diary. Plus, uh, Mark Blankenship is uh, still in the throes of damages. So you can check all of those out on Previously.tv. And now we move to Allison. Hello. <clears throat> I want to talk about um, Odd Squad, which is a kid show that is just starting its uh, second season on PBS Kids. I don't know what the kids show watching uh, quotient is that we have sure listening. Well, there's that but, one uh, parent that lets her kid listen in the car, <laughs> complete with all our swearing and everything. So at okay. least you got one per- one. Okay. Lady, listen to me. Uh, this show, uh, this show, Odd Squad, is a brilliant piece of children's programming. It is, um, of course, produced in Canada, as all great kids shows are. And uh, it, I mean, it is a work of art. It is sort of a mix of like a police procedural, um, X-Files, <laughs> Star Trek kind of thing. Mm. These kids play uh, agents who go out um, and solve odd problems. And it's mostly about math. I mean, that's the teaching element of it. Um, but the kids in it are brilliant without being precious. It's not cheesy or, you know, overly cute. <clears throat> There's like this whole... S- big slew of villains on the show. It's just some great world building and satire. And I highly recommend it if you have a kid in your life or if you just like hung over and watching PBS kids, you know, <laughs> as or you, whatever. As you do. What <laughs> age is me. your child right. for the for the sake of context? What What is the age range that you would say this show is good for? Uh, she's about to turn seven, but she started watching when she was five. And I think it would be good for like a five to 10 year old. Okay. Um and she's obsessed with it, and uh, and I'm so glad. Like, so much crap is out there for kids to watch, and um, this is perfect for that age kid, and it's hilarious. So, I mean, I think I would watch it if I didn't have a kid. I'm not sure. It's hard to say. Sounds like it shares some DNA <clears throat> with Gravity Falls, sort of. Yeah. You ever watch that show? Yes. And Matt I mean, it, of course. Yeah. 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 Cool. Yeah. And it, it's very clever, so um, I really enjoy it. Um my plug is uh, has nothing to do with children. It's about <laughs> keeping up with the Kardashians. The only the only kids on that show are ones to feel very very sorry for. <clears throat> I covered it last season, and I'm deep into this season uh, on Previously TV, and uh, it really makes me question a lot of things about myself and about. Yeah. My emotional and mental health. America. That's my favorite. Really, it really does. I mean, I love so many things about your coverage, but the way it causes you to do deep soul searching every week about like your response to the show is fascinating, like meta story about keeping up with the Kardashians for me. It's the moderate ink blot. Yes. Thank you for that. I mean, it seriously is. It's, It's teaching me things about the narcissists I know in my life and the effects that they have had on me. <laughs> and because I feel such sympathy for people that I should not feel it for. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, every, every week it happens to me. So <laughs> um, please, uh, 
please, please read that. So it'll be worth doing. <laughs> <laughs> please, please read. Please help. <laughs> so uh, the the other thing going on uh, also on previously.tv is uh, the Wheel of Murder, oh. uh, the next installment of which will be on Monday and – oh, no. Friday. Ne- the 15th, yep. whenever that Friday. is. What's today? Monday. Okay, Friday. Um, so – and I will be writing about a show that's just – come on to netflix uh they're calling it netflix original content but it isn't so i don't know it's called marcella oh, yeah and it stars uh anna, anna friel yeah so. people are talking about that a lot and just for people who don't know the wheel of murder is every week allison uh spins the wheel and covers a procedural show about crime from a different country in the world and uh it, it, right down to what you should serve while you're watching it so it's incredibly <laughs> holistic she's doing extremely important work Thank you. Joe. So, yeah, like I mentioned while we were talking about the night of, I finally, finally got in gear and have watched Show Me a Hero, which was, was it last summer? Like, was it that long ago or was it last last fall? Good Lord. Okay. Um, I have no excuse. You should show me no sympathy. But (laughs) the good news is I finally watched it. I will just say, okay, here's the thing. I keep up with crap a lot better than I keep up with good shows because I have a lot more time in my day to not pay attention or like halfway to pay attention to things. And the stuff that I want to pay attention to just piles up and piles up and piles up. This is not a unique story. This is me. Anyway, (laughs) show me a hero. It's so good. You guys, you should really watch the show. It's amazing. Um, And I feel like – and granted, like Oscar Isaac – Amazing, got so much praise, totally well worth it. Uh, Golden Globe deserved it. The Emmy race is going to be insane because it's going to be him and Courtney B. Vance, and I don't know who I'm going to want to win, and it's going to be crazy, and they're both going to lose to Brian Cranston for playing LBJ, so whatever. But I want to talk about Catherine Keener, who plays uh, Mary, I believe is her I name, right. the uh, the the sort of older uh, neighbor who really goes on a journey in this show, mm-hmm. and I feel feel like she wasn't as sort of loudly praised when the show was new, but I thought she was really fantastic. So much more so than my initial response to watching the trailer, which was like, Melissa, Leo, what's happening there? (laughs) So um, she's so good. She really just sort of like she does. She goes on this, you know, journey and the, the story of the housing uh, development sort of reflects probably more through her and through the other characters in the show than it does through uh, the Nick Wasisco character who's sort of running on his own sort of parallel political journey. But like, God, like so good. And I really hope that because it was last August that it doesn't get entirely lost in the Emmy shuffle. This is a really competitive year for limited series with People versus O.J. Simpson and uh, American Crime was so good this year. And with the acting categories, they do the TV movies. So like confirmations in there and all the way the LBJ movie is in there. So it's going to be very, very competitive. Um, and I'll be very, very much Fargo is in that category. Like it's all, there's a lot going on. So I'm going to be rooting hard for everybody and show me here when hopefully the Emmy voters have long memories. So uh, my plug is related to that too. If you go to decider.com, I did a whole bunch of articles, sort of Emmy, uh, advocacy articles for uh, all the, you know, all the Emmy voters who read my stuff on sure. decider.com. Mm-hmm. So clearly I'm, you know, uh, I'm, I'm the unpaid 
I'm campaign consultant for this. <laughs> so if you want to go to decider.com, if you just, you know, decider.com backslash Joe dash read, you can read all my stuff. I'll be tweeting the stuff out throughout the week um, as we lead up to Emmy nominations. So yeah, go read my stuff. And now Sarah D. Patek. So there's this show on Sundays at nine on BBC America. Uh, I would ask if anyone else had seen it, but it's on Sundays at nine. <laughs> so obviously you have not. Nope. It is called The Hunt. I had never heard of it before. Uh, my husband and I were out to dinner last night and our barman, Mike, made us watch it. He's like, no, it's really great. The photography is amazing. And I was like, whatever. <laughs> It is really amazing. Um, basically, it's like a nature show about the hunt. Last night's episode was set in the Arctic. Uh, summer is waning. This polar bear has not caught a seal yet. This seal is sunning itself on the ice. It's super cute because it's a seal, but the <laughs> polar bear is really skinny and you feel really sorry for her. And how is she going to be able to reproduce and hibernate and all that stuff? And like... They keep showing these different chases, like something really cute and fluffy, something also cute or at least admirable and skinny and hungry and killy. And you don't know who to root for. And it really is beautiful cinematography. And you're so torn. Like, do I root for this Arctic bunny or do I root for the wolf? Anyway, if you literally have nothing else to do and only get one channel... Sunday nights are tough, but maybe find some airing that's on at like 3.30 in the morning and check it out. It's really amazing to watch. And um, I was raised in a household where basically I was only allowed to watch PBS and nature shows. I'm not super sure this is for kids. Mm. The, you know, spoiler, the bunny does not um, prevail. Uh, <laughs> oh, but no. it like it just reminded me that nature shows are really wonderful and kind of like not soothing exactly, but it's really nice to not have to care about, I don't know, a housewife or like <laughs> keeping track of some Byzantine drug dealing operation. Like you can just watch it and absorb it. And yeah, it's a beautiful show. Uh, speaking of housewives, <laughs> I plug oh, no. real housewives of New Jersey is back. So are my power rankings. Uh, if you were considering skipping this season because the additions from last year were um, terrible, good news. They have been disappeared. <laughs> A new set of Don Summerses has arrived. Uh, these seem much more promising than the previous set. And best news of all, you know that Billy Joel in the 80s mated with the back of a city bus hairdo on Chris Larita that I have been complaining about for like 15 years? He gone. Hey! Oh. Modified Tintin oh. is a little weird. I'm Excellent. not going to clamber over anyone to make out with him still, but it's so much better. Didn't save him from bankruptcy or still believing in BLK or whatever that disgusting drink is, but anyhow... <laughs> Looks like a pretty fighty, exciting season in God's Little Acre, and I hope you all will join me for Real Housewives of New Jersey on Previously.TV. Okay, so speaking of slow burns, uh, as I mentioned earlier, Preacher uh, gave it up last night. Uh, I really wanted to like this show because I really enjoyed the comic, which is bonkers. This show, I don't know what they are thinking. The best I could come up with is that they were so confident of the changes that they were making to the introduction of the general story that they thought, we'll make season one so slow and boring 
that when we really <laughs> d- dig into the actual comic book content in season two, people's minds will be blown. Uh, but in the meantime, the show is dropping viewers like flies. Uh, it is slow, way too slow, especially compared to the source material. Uh, they changed the lead character. It might as well be a different character. Uh, in the comic book, when he starts, he is like basically not a preacher anymore, if he ever really was uh, like a true preacher. And in the show, that seems to be the main drive of of all the weird shit he's doing on the show is that he just really wants to juice up those attendance numbers and uh, get everybody in town on the same page to serve God. Um, and it's not working. They really need to uh, get in gear, and I don't think they're doing it. I know it's been renewed, which... Yeah, kind of bi- weeks ago. Yeah. Um, so maybe they'll have a little sit and a little think about it and season two actually get down to it because there have been hints of the characters that make the show interesting. Like Queen Kate, Queen Cannon is a very interesting character in the comic book. Uh, the um, cowboy character, who I won't say his name because it's a spoiler, um, but that is a very, very interesting character. And there was a glimpse of uh, sort of a organizational thug-ish character um, in one of the episodes, this bald guy with the white hat. Uh, that I think maybe season, uh, episode one or two that we haven't seen since. And I just think they had decided to have a grand plan and they uh, stretched it too long or something. And uh, it's way too slow of a burn for the kind of content that they need to present for this show. So to Preacher, yeah. Welcome to fucking Deadwood. <laughs> Greetings, EHD crew. I'd like to submit a lie agreed upon part one, season two, episode one of Deadwood, perhaps the last best television Western series. Like it or not, changes come into Deadwood, as represented by the new telegraph poles we see being set up as the stage rolls into town, carrying Seth Bullock's new family, as well as several employees for Joni Stumb's new brothel. After anti-hero Hall of Famer Al Swearingen reads some disturbing correspondence about the town's lack of representation in the new political scheme of things, he walks onto the balcony of his gem saloon, followed by old loyal minion Dan Doherty and next-gen minion Silas Adams for this discussion about current events. Messages from invisible sources, or what some people think of as progress. Well, ain't the heathens you smoke signals all through recorded history? How's that a fucking recommendation? Well... Seems to me like you know, letters posted one person to another is just a slower version of the same idea. When's the last time you got a fucking letter from a stranger? Bad news about Paul. Bad news. Tries against our interests is our sole communications from strangers. So by all means, let's let's plant poles all across the country, festoon the cocktucking with wires to hurry the sorry word and blinker our judgments of motive, huh? You're giving it more thought than me. Ain't the state of things cloudy enough? Don't we face enough fucking imponderables? Well, by God, you give the word, Al, and them poles will be kindling. I guess this would be an appropriate time to mention the colorful language that made the show so noteworthy. (laughs) By my casual count, this episode contains approximately seven uses of the word fuck, 52 fuckings, eight cocksuckers, and about another dozen various epithets, all in the space of 49 minutes, for an amazing ratio of 1.6 curses per minute. That alone should qualify the episode for the canon as a monument to free fucking speech. (laughs) Meanwhile, back at the gem, Swearingen, already pissed off by those imponderables, 
Spies reluctant but resigned Sheriff Bullock coming out of the hotel after a dalliance with the town's most prosperous citizen, the widow Alma Garrett. Swearingen shouts down to chide Bullock about his afternoon delight, but Bullock doesn't take shit from anyone. Just ask the guy selling soap with the prize inside. The two have a staring contest until duty calls in the form of a gunshot from Tom Nuttall's number 10 saloon. Bullock issues a warning to Swearingen to stand ready to account for his slurs and strides off to take care of business. A case of mistaken identity at number 10 has resulted in the death of one of the several dance who seem to populate Deadwood, leading to the Solomon-like decision from Bullock, who's obviously got more pressing things on his mind. Get up and tell your partners. My part sheriff was putting bummer in my jacket and sending the poor fuck in here. To what purpose? Thinking maybe if Harry Wing won a bummer, mistaking him for me, threatened to murder, it'd be funny. What's my liability, Mr. Bullock? Hey, hey, getting pissed on provocation? You didn't kill who you meant to, or mean to kill the man you did. What's my liability? Worse in some way? Box him and see he's buried. But I'm telling both of you. Watch it! Bullock returns to the gym to confront Swearingen, who has had time to reconsider his comments. He tries to be conciliatory, as much as he can without outright apologizing, and tries to distract Bullock with news of the political storm that's percolating. But the sheriff just can't put his pride aside. He removes his gun and badge, and the two engage in one of TV's epic brawls, beginning in Swearingen's office, moving onto the balcony, going over the balcony railing, and landing in the street just as the stage rolls into town. Now, prior to all this, allies of both combatants had gathered in the gym, looking to back their respective guy. Deputy Charlie Utter and Sal Starr, Bullock's hardware store partner on one side, Adams, Doherty, and Johnny Burns, the least right of the Swearingen crew for their boss. When Bullock and Swearingen crash into the muddy thoroughfare, Doherty clouds the sheriff in the head with a shotgun, while Burns reluctantly shoots Starr and Utter, more or less seriously, respectively. Swearingen suddenly recalls he does have a knife hidden in his boot, but just as he's about to let his blade fly, he spies young William Bullock, who had been innocently farting and ogling the whores in the stagecoach just moments earlier. <laughs> Cowed by the pie-eyed kid's duck face, he relents, offering a welcome to fucking Deadwood to the new arrivals. Welcome to fucking Deadwood! Swearingen's nemesis, Cy Tolliver, owner of the rival Belly Union, has been observing the proceedings along with Joni and Lila, one of his more philosophical whores. Disappointed by the stalemate, where he had hoped for a double mortality, he laments being rarely that fucking lucky. Reeling from what has to be a concussion, a bloody Bullock nevertheless politely greets Martha Bullock and William, whom he will take under his wing in what strikes me as some biblical nod to marriage with deceased brother's wife. He arranges for their belongings to be taken to the new house he has had constructions for them before making a faceplant into the mud. We repair to parallel scenes of triage. At the gem, Swearingen's swearing has risen proportionately with his pain. The makeup reflecting after-effects of his beatdown is wonderfully grotesque. And we hear this exchange with town mayor, hotelier, and slimeball A.B. Farnham. Heavens. It's all like some great Greek battle. Yeah, how about that fucking duck, huh? Seen to the respectable types, leaving us the ones that pay him regular, huh? So, that woman and child, bullocks... His wife and son. Uh, how was Mr. Starr? How was Charlie Utter? Shut up, Johnny. 
detailed Bullock's condition. The worse for wear. No clarity to his look or focus, as I could cite in other combatants. Touch me, E.B. I'll put your nose through your fucking brain. Now, did he state his further intentions? To have his gun and badge back. In what fucking tone? Well, I'd shy from putting a name on it, Al. He was talking to an eight-year-old. Sound like he'd be coming back for more? Well, I'd hate to guess and be wrong. Over at the hardware store, Doc Cochran tends to store his wounded shoulder while Utter and Bullock hang out, apparently needing no more treatment than a damp cloth. In the middle of all this, the widow Garrick decides to play welcome wagon, bringing a gift basket to Mrs. Bullock Bullock and her son. Awkwardness ensues. Mr. Bullock. Mrs. Garrick. How are you feeling, Mr. Starr? I've peered twice. <laughs> Mrs. Garrett. Trixie. Mrs. Garrett. Mr. Otter. Ma'am, uh, don't be alarmed. A lot of this damage is old. May I introduce my wife, Martha, and our son, William. Mrs. Alma Garrett. How do you do? How do you do? How do you do, William? How do you do? And Ellsworth, who superintends Mrs. Garrett's claim. Ma'am. William. How do you do? You've discovered us in distressing circumstances. You think? <laughs> Bullock tries to cover his ass, reminding Mrs. Bullock Bullock of letters he had purportedly sent, explaining his completely above-board relationship with the widow Garrett. But no one is buying it. Utter, who also serves as the town's postmaster, tries to lighten up the situation by claiming he loses more letters than he delivers. This is followed by an overenthusiastic laughter from those on hand. While all this is going on, the B story of Joni setting out on her own continues. Tolliver tantrums through the scene before finally agreeing to let her go after more than a decade under his thumb. He redeems himself as a Class A dick in a bizarre bon voyage where he pours champagne down the throats of his belly union working girls and informs Joni and her new partner, formerly the Borg Queen in Star Trek First Contact, that he will be taking a major piece of the action. But we're not quite done with the Bullocks. Seth escorts his instant family to the new abode. He declines to enter, promising he'll do so once he's retrieved his gun and badge. He walks away in the encroaching dusk to a voiceover of him constructing a letter to Mrs. Bullock Bullock, describing the construction of their home in details worthy of popular mechanics. The final scene has him returning to the hotel to embrace the widow Garrett, knowing that their affair has come to an end. Deadwood received critical acclaim for combining the violent world of the lawless community with dialogue worthy of Shakespeare. Even the most poorly educated of the townspeople express themselves in marvelously poetic and intelligent fashion. While I agree upon part one, is a wonderful example of this through the stylish writing we came to expect from David Milch, whose resume includes Hill Street Blues and NYPD Blue, along with excellent acting and cinematography. This episode marked a turning point in the maturation process for the community and many of the characters. The time had passed for a thumb to the nose, or perhaps middle finger extended, independence. Everyone is forced to grow up in a sense, unable to stop the creep of personal and political progress. Unfortunately, the show went a bit south in its third and final season with the introduction of the nefarious George Hurst. Viewers didn't get the chance for a satisfying ending, as Lost fans did. Just kidding. But news of a new <laughs> Deadwood project may be just what Doc Cochran ordered. Uh, thanks, Ron. So I think we should start with Allison, who was our uh, television without pity Deadwood recapper. What do you think? 
Okay. <clears throat> Damn you. I, I didn't want to start because even up until this moment, I am like so torn as to whether this should go in as a canon submission for Deadwood, which... Not that I didn't love the episode because I love it. Okay. <laughs> and like, I remember recapping this. I remember recapping this. I, I was reminded of so many things. One, how much I hate Mrs. Garrett. <laughs> truly, <laughs> truly and deeply and forever. That is a hate that goes on forever. <laughs> and uh, how much, you know, of course, I love Timothy Oliphant. Maybe not as much as Tara, but, but almost. No one almost. Including Mrs. Oliphant. <laughs> um <laughs> The guy is just freaking hot with his crazy mustache. I just like, like, it'll be forever, my love for him. The thing about this episode is, though, it has so many amazing things in it. Like, the fight, of course, is just, it's amazing. And the problem is, there's so many great Deadwood fights. I, I'm, when he mentioned in the uh, in his submission about the Hearst season, you know, there's some excellent fights in that season, and, and like incredible throwdowns in the thoroughfare. It's it's just very hard to say whether this one tops that or whether it tops other Deadwood episodes. It's really hard for me to let it be submitted to the canon representing Deadwood for several reasons. I'm going to have to Ooh, say no. Interesting. Hmm. All right, Tara, why don't you uh, go to... <laughs> well, first of all, I want to thank Ron for the submission and also mention um, you also, listener, can submit a canon or nonac um, for consideration. Uh, the information is at previously.tv. Go to that page and click on podcast. The submission information is there, correct? Yeah. Um, I, uh, yeah, I mean, I don't have the bone deep you know, knowledge of the show that Allison does. <laughs> like, I know how it changes your relationship to a show to, to cover it this way, of course. Um, especially in the kind of depth that you did on television without pity. And, um, but I was very pleased to get to revisit this episode and it had, I forgot that all. AMC Network's Sundance Now is a premium streaming video service offering a rich selection of prestige dramas, heart-stopping thrillers, and gripping true crime series from around the world. Sundance Now believes that life is more enriching when experienced through perspectives that differ from our own. Why is Sundance Now so awesome? Sundance Now's catalog includes award-winning original content, international exclusives, and hard-to-find properties at a fair price. You get premium content and no commercials for as low as four ninety nine a month with an annual membership, and you can enjoy it anywhere. Sundance Now works on all your favorite devices. Download the app or watch online on Apple and Android devices, Amazon Fire TV, Google Chromecast, Roku, and more. My favorite aspect of Sundance Now is their documentary library. Pop culture investigations like The Cult of J.T. Leroy, The Pussy Riot Doc, and that must-see for Project Runway fans, Bill Cunningham, New York. But the catalog is impressively deep on the true crime front, too. There are lots of films I've covered for my true crime newsletter, but just as many I haven't had a chance to watch yet, and I had to force myself not to start Valentine Road instead of recording this ad, so... Let's get to that promo code so that I can get back to the film, and you can join me free for 30 days. Start streaming your next obsession. To try Sundance Now free for 30 days, go to SundanceNow.com and use promo code EHG. That's S-U-N-D-A-N-C-E-N-O-W.com and use promo code EHG for 30 days of free streaming. 
Thanks, Sundance Now. These things happened in the same episode. Um, Bullock and Alma, I mean, I know you hated her, but God, they were so hot together. <laughs> I was happy. They were. They were. They were. They, were. they had true. such great chemistry, and, and especially because Bullock is the angriest man in Deadwood slash America. Um, so for that that mm-hmm. kind of passion and energy to be turned to sex made it hotter, in my opinion. Obviously, my feelings about that <laughs> performer are well known, so I will not belabor them. Um, uh, but the the moment that his family rolls in, literally, to town and sees him, like, having this very violent fight and, you know, he's all bloody and, and that the first thing he tries to do is reassure William that he's mostly okay is, like, I don't know how convincing that would be to to an impressionable child, that would probably be super scary because of <laughs> the aforementioned anger. Um, and seeing his his weird courtliness to these people and ha- that they're supposed to be his new family is is striking. And it's, you know, explored in interesting ways over the course of the season, too. But, like, this, f- that this is their introduction is uh, rough yet fitting. And, of course, you know, the welcome to fucking Deadwood line is great. Um Oh yeah. I also feel bad for poor Johnny, the dumb idiot who had to shoot people and <laughs> no idea yeah. what he's doing. And just afterwards, so guilty about all of it and not getting any information about whether he's killed people. Like, poor Johnny. Um, that guy and uh, and John Hawks play that scene yeah. so well, where like neither one of them wants to be shooting anybody, and yet they're both just sort of like fumbling <laughs> yeah. with their guns and like getting ready to do it. It's amazing. It's yeah. really well knowing done. that actor goes on to um, to play the probable actual murderer in Rectify. Spoiler alert! It's it's uh, it's interesting to see uh. him come in back in this role <laughs> um, yeah. as you know as just an idiot as opposed to anyone evil. Uh, Johnny also always had a very <laughs> good place in my heart for being such a fucking dope. The dumbest <laughs> member of Elsewhere Engine's entourage, include, and that includes yep. the ones who could barely speak English. Um, uh, also mentioned about the Borg Queen, she came to town to work Shadowcaster. <laughs> Literally, <laughs> that was yeah. the weird horse lady from 90210 Season 3 who totally banged Dylan and then sold her horse. Had crazy oh, eyes. man. Um, so yeah, there was some working shadow caster going on mm, in this episode. Oh, yep. um, and I love too <laughs> that it ends with a letter from Bullock because that's a device that was always I thought used very well in the show for the reasons that Ron said the language is beautiful and in a letter it's even more considered than you know the kind of stuff that people are improbably saying in dialogue to one another. So I I thought that was a very lovely way to close things out and and you know symbolic because he's building their house which we never actually see in this episode so i don't know but it also made me wanna... but also yes in that letter mm-hmm. he is like skirting what he really should be saying too because that letter is 80 sure. percent you know right. wood wood details right we got some pine we got some fruit we got <laughs> some dovetail shopping list yeah and uh oh yeah um i will try to <laughs> be a good husband bye yeah <laughs> of course yeah um Anyway, I this made me want to watch the show all over again. I keep pitching this, and we we are going to run out of uh, our current rewatch pretty soon, which is Brooklyn Nine Nine. So this would be a real left turn if we were to uh, take on Deadwood once again. It's all about law and, <laughs> Truly. and justice. And True. Frontier yes. Tier <laughs> badges stuff. and so forth. Anyway, um, I'm I was glad that I got to revisit it, uh, but I'm interested to know what other people thought of it in terms of its canon worthiness. So I will turn it over to Joseph K. Reed. <laughs> um, I think most more than anything, this episode, because it features the Swearingen uh, Bullock fight, you think about like 
what this show does with like heroes and villains where like when the series started al was the bad guy and seth was the good guy in any kind of like traditional reading of like a western right and then so but then you look at where they got to even by this point and this was only after one full season their big huge fight comes not because of this like great like climactic battle or anything like that is because like al is having the most annoying day ever <laughs> where he gets like bad news from yankton and then like the the whatever telegraph poles are annoying him that whole scene with dan i'm so glad uh that yeah. got clipped it's amazing we're like dan cannot put the right foot forward in that mm-hmm. conversation it's so funny um and then he's got his like impending kidney stone ordeal to like <laughs> process and that whole thing is coming down his the pike and like yeah. Oh my God. It is. And just, just remembering that is so harrowing. Um, yes. so that, and then it's ultimately comes because like he says something like he's basically trolling Bullock <laughs> in thoroughfare. And like Bullock is just like won't have it because he's got his own problems to deal with. And the interest, it's interesting because like in the submission, uh, he refers to Swearingen as an antihero. And I don't even know if I would go that far. I think he's so, the show makes him so much of just like, a complicated person who's just dealing with logistical issues and also like you know old west well, he's, like he's archetypes like, he's or whatever mercenary, but, I, but like his fortunes are tied yeah. to the town's fortunes so it seems at times that he has other people's interests at heart too which i think you know models the he's a villain waters but he's right yeah he's not an anti-hero i agree I don't think I would call him any of those things. I don't think he's a hero or a villain or an antihero. I think the show does such a good job of like making the town mm-hmm. such an ecosystem that you don't really have that. And that's what makes the whole thing so fascinating. And then like the fact that there's all this kind of violence, but it's such a funny show where like they're in the, when, when, uh, Al's eyeing down Bullock from the, from the balcony and they hear the gunshot go off and he just goes to Dan, just like, tell me that's not Tom Nutt. I'll take him the easy way out. And I was just like, <laughs> yes, dying. It's so funny. And William farting in the, the, whatever stagecoach with the whores and all of that. And then with the whole Cy Tolliver subplot, which is, you know, clearly like a back burner thing from everything else that's happening here, but like watching his impotent rage and just like, he, there's nowhere for him to go with it. And he's basically just like his teeth are chattering. Can I tell so you that that um, Cy Tolliver's character makes me more uncomfortable than Al Swearingen by yeah. far. Like there is, there is some yeah. sort of deep, creepy black bile evil in that guy that sure. yep. that yeah doesn't exist in elsewhere and, and it i always on first oh. watch i really didn't like that storyline like i was always that was always my least favorite part of deadwood um but right. like it is it puts elsewhere in context i think where yeah absolutely and, absolutely like, where he isn't the greatest of all evils or necessarily evil with a capital E in this show, but oh god, that character is so fucking creepy. Yeah, he's he's, he's creepy. Go he ahead, completely lack. Oh, I was going to say that I think the difference between him and Al is that Al has empathy, as, as you could see when he 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 stops from killing Bullock when he looks into the eyes of the kid, like he remembers himself as a child and the whole storyline about Al, his own childhood and his mom leaving him and all that. But Sai has none of that, like. 
And he grossed me out watching this the first time so badly that seeing him again and all of his makeup, it just really <laughs> one, got one, me. One last thing on Ty Oliver where you can tell he's evil. Uh, white hair, black eyebrows. Never trust a guy. White hair, black eyebrows. <laughs> That's true. <No. laughs> Been established. And then even in the scene leading up to the fight with Al and Bullock, when they're in Al's quarters upstairs, and he's like, and he's needling Bullock, and he's getting at him, and then like, there's a moment where he knows he's gone too far, and you could see it in his eyes, and he's just like, oh hell, like I'm really like, I pushed the wrong button, and then he sort of makes the decision to like double down on it anyway because like, well, I'm already here, and. <laughs> It's just Ian McShane's so good mm-hmm. in this role. Um, and then there's also – I just wanted to mention the scene towards the end of the episode where Dan is sort of yelling at Johnny about like, well, this is what's happening. America's coming to Deadwood and we're going to have yes. to deal with a whole lot of fucking people who we don't want to have to deal with. And you know, it's all a bunch of you know untrustworthy people out there. And the, the – Milch was able to sort of throw – big themes into the episode in a way that was like very recognizable and yet you never felt like it was like record scratch like time to you know learn what it's all about and conversations like that were really good towards that end i just i think this is an episode that does all of the things that i love about deadwood it does it really well and and the second season this sets up everything that happens in the second season and the second season of deadwood is like I think maybe my favorite season of television ever in terms of just absolutely blown away by what it does. So I love it. Sarah? I don't like this show. <laughs> oh, it kills I, me. It kills me. I know. I, I just don't. It's not for me. Like, I chuckled a couple times. I get what people like about it. It's not one of those things where I'm like, what? Like, I get it. It's just... It doesn't, it doesn't work. It's like too mannered in a way that I can't deal with. Um, I shouldn't ever have read that New Yorker article about David Milch because I can't <laughs> unknow any of that, um, like personal horse shit, like that he dictates literally everything. Like that just is, he is super annoying to me. Um, I was actually hoping that revisiting the show because i had seen a couple of episodes before and i think one of them was this one um i was hoping that i would feel differently and sort of would have some distance from it and that um that i would feel that i would be like oh and sort of be tempted to do a sober second thought watch of the show um yeah that's um that's not gonna happen i don't i don't think um and I know this is heresy, especially on this podcast, but I don't care for Oliphant's acting choices. Here. <laughs> um, yeah, sorry. I'll let myself out um, right after I observe that I, who usually love both Oliphant and a mustache, think he's not like I would. F- I would fuck Saul oh, Star. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, first both at once, right? Isn't Saul that what? Star looks no? like my husband. Sorry. That's. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, I like him shorter and Irish looking. Um, yeah, I will say, though, this was a really great canon presentation. Uh, Ron, you should really consider voiceover work or read audiobooks. Uh, it was funny. I laughed. I cried. It was um, better than the actual episode. Um, it, it was enjoyable to see Anne 
arriving in town to work Shadowcaster on a professional yeah. basis. Um, I did chuckle a few times, but yeah, this, I don't really feel that, you know, I even have a qualified vote. This just isn't, I can't speak to whether it's like typical of the show and I just don't like the show. So, so Allison, the, uh, the fights you're talking about having, uh, some, uh, some real good beatdowns in season three, are we referring to the Dan Captain Turner? We are referring to that. Yes. <laughs> um, that was certainly more uh, choreographed and, you know, a more... Gushy. Uh, yes, gushy. <laughs> Eyeball. Yeah, like really, like somebody spent their time, you know, uh, setting that whole scene up. But like this is the, you know, alpha, you know, two alphas in the town actually having a fight this is you know that other one was the the best of the henchmen bout you know that's the ufc <laughs> bout the undercard this is the yeah this is this is the actual this is like when you know vince mcmahon and like some manager back in the 80s would have a fight you know <laughs> mouth of the south versus vince mcmahon let's do it um but uh i i i'm i'm actually a little bit surprised that you uh didn't think this one was canon worthy to me like this this is such a a uh, uh, good tight episode that sets up so much of what's to come in the season. And one of my favorite things is the in this show is the Al Swearingen office powwow, <laughs> where he just talks a little strategy over some whiskey, and it's such a sing songy kind of flow to it, where you know. He's sort of talking to, but through everybody that's in the room as he sort of formulates his strategy as he's talking about the facts of the whatever is going on. In this case, you know, the Yankton problem. Um, I could just watch episodes of that where that falls for me. And it's not in this episode is when he starts talking to Chief Head in the Box. Um, <laughs> yes, that was that wasn't the greatest choice, uh, I think, for that character. But um, I think everybody said everything about this episode that I like. Um, so I'm going to just go, go, go to go to the, to the vote. Um, so let's see. Starting with Allison, you said nay. With regrets. All right. And Tara? I'm going to say yay for the reason that Joe said it. It does all of the good things Deadwood does well in a nice tight package. So yay for me. And Joe? <laughs> I'm going to agree with everything that I said, too, so I'm going to say yeah. I'm going to agree with Tara agreeing with you, if that's okay, in a proxy agreement. So Wait, that means... you didn't... Sarah. Oh, I'm sorry, Sarah. Yes to Ron, no to this episode. Okay. Sorry, Sarah. You were such a... You, you said you were almost abstaining, so... But, uh, yeah. but yes. no matter, because three versus two... That means Deadwood Season 2, Episode 1, A Lie Agreed Upon Part 1. You are hereby inducted into the Extra Hot Great Canon. Americans love a winner. Yeah. And will not tolerate a loser. Nope. It is time for Winner and a Loser of the Week. Tar has a winner. Late breaking winner, Carrie Coon, star of The Leftovers, um, is going to be the female lead of Fargo Season 3. Hooray for her. So I excited. Be great. Love her. Uh, love Fargo. Uh, love the idea of her on Fargo. This season apparently is going to be set cl closer to the present day, like in the smartphone era. I think that's about all we know other than Ewan McGregor in a dual role as brothers who are not twins. 
Dunno. I don't know if there's chin putty involved, but I guess we'll see. Uh, uh, they've revealed what the connection is to n- not that I am aware of, okay. right. uh, but it's apparently, and I learned today. It's I, I assumed it was going to be coming back this fall, but n- not so. It's not going to be back until 2017. So uh, it'll be around with Homeland, I guess. So sit tight because they're going to start production on that soonish. All right, loser of the week, Roger Alice. <laughs> Couldn't have happened to a nicer network after Gretchen Carlson filed suit against the Fox News honcho for sexual harassment. Uh, The us two multiball began. I am not surprised to learn that she was not the only one. Um, Of course, his spokesman was like, these accusations are, you know, decades old and totally baseless. Like, that's not how it works. No. Dickheads. Also, one of them was from someone who was 16 at the time. Like, ugh, gross. That plus yeah. the revelation of, like, he took out his genitals and they were red like raw hamburger. That's his nickname now oh, forever. Sorry, everybody. Oh. <clears throat> good thing I don't eat meat. Oh. Yeah. Oh. Hey, uh, speaking about good things, you know what time it is? <laughs> <laughs> it's game Sorry, time. Oh. Not burger time? Gross. <laughs> 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 All right, everybody, this is the sixth game time of the season. I believe Value guessed one last week, right? That's correct. Yeah, or last time, sorry. Yep. Uh, Tar and Joe up top with two, Value guessed with one, Sarah with zero. Today we are playing More Chicken, More Egg, <laughs> a sequel to Chicken and Egg from oh. Rob Hartman. Oh, Rob. Hartman! In More Chicken, More Egg, I will read you a pair of similar TV shows, and you tell me which game first. Ooh. If you answer oh, correctly, God. you get a chance at a second point if you can tell me the year the f- earlier show debuted. Ooh. All right? Yep. Oh. We have 52 questions today, so okay. let's get going and throw it to Picky3000 for our order. We will start with Joe. All right. So our order is Joe, Allison, Tara, Sarah. Are we ready to play more chicken? More egg. Yes, sir. Let's get yes. cracking. Ah. Hey. Oh, no. <laughs> Joe. Damn, not sorry, no. According to Jim or King of Queens, which show debuted first? Uh, darn it. Um, oh, I feel like this is real close. Huh. I feel like King of Queens never got quite to the level of like, I can't believe this show is still on that according to Jim did. I'm going to guess according to Jim. Uh, Damn it! Beat by about three years. King of Queens, September 21st, 1998. Yeah. Yep. Wow. All right, Allison, here's one for you. Yes? The Real Housewives of Orange County or Desperate Housewives. So I'm saying which one it was earlier? Which debuted first? Desperate Housewives. Nice. Correct. Now, for an extra point, do you know the year it started? Uh, oh. 2003. Ooh, very close. That class. 2004. Really? Yeah. Oh. But a year and a half later was the Real Housewives. That was the first one, right? Orange County? Yep. Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yep. Tara Ariano. Yes, sir. Criminal Minds uh-huh. or Numb Three Years? Oh, God. Numb Three Years. <laughs> <laughs> Correct. Year? Year, oh, 2002. 
way off. 2005. Crap. 2005. And only about half a year separates those two shows. Okay. Sarah Bunting, your first question is 21 Jump Street or <laughs> Square Pegs? <laughs> oh, shit. <laughs> oh, um, Square Pegs. By quite a bit. Yeah, Five by a lot. years. Wait, give it a chance to say the year. I know. Oh, okay. I didn't say. All right. Uh, ooh. Um, 84? 82. Uh, 82 oh, versus uh, That was a lot. Wow. 82. Yeah. All right. Joe Reed, She's the Sheriff or <laughs> Boozum Buddies? Oh, she's the Sheriff. Um, I have no idea when She's the Sheriff happened. Um, was that Angie Dickinson? Am I thinking of the wrong thing? Yep. Um, I don't know. It wouldn't help me anyway. I'm going to say that. She's the sheriff. <laughs> Damn it. Like quite a bit. Seven years difference. Really? 1980 versus 87. She's the sheriff was 87? Yeah. Isn't that Rhymedy. the... Uh, What's well, Suzanne Summers? Thigh master lady? Yeah. Oh, Suzanne yeah, yeah, yeah. Summers. Okay. Oh. Police woman is Angie Dickinson. Thank you. Okay. All right. Allison. Hunter. Yes. Hunter or TJ Hooker. <laughs> oh. Oh my gosh. I'm going to say Hunter was first. Incorrect. Uh, TJ Hooker, March 82. Hunter, September 84. Mm, So Hunter was the TJ Hooker knockoff or whatever. I was, you know, thinking that was the same show. Okay. Uh, Got Fred Dreyer online, too, to answer that question. Uh, uh, For Tara, yeah. uh, shout out to Linda Holmes. Your shows are Scarecrow and Mrs. King. Yep. I always immediately uh, associate oh, with Linda. She would be very happy to hear that, I'm sure. <laughs> uh, Scarecrow and Mrs. King mm-hmm. or Heart to Heart. Heart to Heart. Ooh. And the year? Uh, 19. I'm going to give you a little hint. You're okay. correct so far. <laughs> I'm going to say 79er. And that is our first extra point. Yes. Heart to Heart, August 79. Scarecrow and Mrs. King, 83. Okay. 83. All right. Uh, Sarah, uh, speaking of Deadwood Season 3, Coach or Major Dad? (laughs) Oh, Christ. Uh. Mm. Coach. Yeah. Correct. Nice. And the year? The year that Coach debuted um, was 19. How am I doing so far? <laughs> uh, 88. Oh, 89. Uh, and barely. Oh. February 89. Damn it. Versus September 89 for wow. Major Dad, same Fuck. year. Joe, blowout or yep. flipping out? Oh, shoot. Okay. Blowout. You are correct. Nice. I, I think that was the first of the out shows. I think you're right. Um, so that would have been it would have been before flipping out and before workout. Like, ooh, oh man. Okay, when did Project Runway? Oh five. Oh four. Ah, oh four. Sounded so confident. Yeah, I know. Uh, versus oh seven for flipping out. So quite a bit later. Yeah. All right, Allison. Yep. Pawn stars or hardcore pawn? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> hmm. Pawn stars. 
You are correct. Well done. And in the year. the year of 2009. What? Nice. Well done. Okay. Oh, thank you. 2009 versus 2010. Literally, no idea. That is amazing. Nice. Well, great. there's only so many years. The universe provides. <laughs> Super Nanny Tara. Yep. Or Nanny 911. Super Nanny. Um, God, that was. You know, I let's misread say, the. Uh, sorry, just the, I yes. misread the because uh, uh, the. Uh, I'll give you a little hint. Uh-huh. The date, right? The actual number uh-huh. of the month is seven, and I read the show as Super Nanny Seven, and I immediately created this whole show. <laughs> That's like a Super Friends like version fur- of Super Nanny. Furious Seven of Nannies. No, it's like Super. Okay. You know, so like super All right, um, Super Nanny. Let's say that was two thousand three. Four. Yeah, and yeah. Nanny nine one one also two thousand four, okay. half a year later. Sarah, oh. wife swap or trading spouses, both U.S. versions. Mm. Wife swap or trading spouses? Shit. Uh, trading spouses. Whoa. Two thousand four. Hey! What? Wow. Total guess! <laughs> uh, I assume oh, that, obviously, because they're U.S., there was U.K. first, probably? Yeah, I think um, so. So that would explain why both of those debut very close to each other, July 1st and September 26th. Mm. Yeah. Uh, Joe Reed, The L Word, or Queer as Folk U.S.? Queer as Folk U.S. Okay. Now I'm trying. Uh, okay, um, I'm trying to remember whether they were post 9/11 or not. I don't know if that matters. Um, 2000. Nice. No. And barely. Excellent. December 3rd, 2000 versus oh, yeah. 04 for the L word. Allison, the Borgias, yeah. or the Tudors. Yeah. Oh, uh, the Tudors. Uh, t- 2012. Oh, quite a bit off. 2007. 2007. Oh, okay. The I did not watch it. Clearly. Yeah. Uh, Tara, Whoopi yeah. or Bet? Oh, my <laughs> God. Bet? <laughs> okay. Now, was that a talk show or a no, sitcom? No, they were sitcoms. No, that was both a sitcom. Both of them were very them. short-lived sitcoms. Uh, what did I say it was? Bet? Yep. Okay. Tsh- 2004. She just stopped. 2000. Ah! 2000. Dang it. All right, Sarah, bring us into our first score break. Pan Am or... Anybody want to guess who the other show is? The Playboy Club? Yeah, or the Playboy <laughs> Club. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, shit. Uh, oh, man. I am so torn. In two directions. Spoiler. Uh, ugh, Playboy Club. You are correct. Wow. Nicely done. Hey, get this. 2006. Oh, no. 2011. Wasn't that long ago. Uh, Weird. Six days. Six days Yeah, apart. I was going to say. Yeah, they were the six same season. Apart. The 19th of September versus the 25th of September. All right. That brings us into our very first score break, Tara. Let's hear the scores. Very tight game. Joe has three points. Allison has four points. Sarah and I are tied with five points each. All right. (gasps) So let's get back to more chicken, more egg. Back to Joe with number 17. Pretty cool. 
Ready to go. Everybody Dang hates it. Chris or Malcolm in the Middle. Malcolm in the Middle. You are correct. And the year it started. Okay. Um. <laughs> Malcolm in the Middle. I feel like that's uh, technically still on. <laughs> yeah, right? Just kept going. Oh, I'm trying to remember whether it goes back into the 90s or not. I'm going to say oh, 01? 2000. Uh, 2000. Ah! 2005 for Everybody Hates Chris. Yeah. Allison, Kitchen Nightmares or Restaurant Impossible? <laughs> oh, I've never heard of Restaurant Impossible. Um, kitchen Nightmares. You are correct. And it seems like it's been on for a long time, but... Uh, 2007. You are correct. Hey! Nice. What? Done. Yeah. Well I don't done. know. These are guesses with the years. I have no idea. Tara. Yeah. Uh, Cashmere Mafia or uh-huh. lipstick lipstick jungle? Oh God. <laughs> um, <laughs> lipstick jungle. Incorrect, Shit. but only by one month. Okay, but they. <laughs> I know I don't get a point for this, but they're both 2008, right? You are correct. Okay, how do you know that? Because oh. we were all Bravo still then. Uh, yep. Right, right, right. Yep. All right. Uh, Sarah D. Bunting, red. They shoes. were very highly regarded in TV Big Shot. I will say. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> oh. I forgot about that. Yeah, wow. I haven't. Dave needs to go I lie down. Track, game time over. <laughs> I want to track down the guy who realized how he can game the system literally day two of that, mm-hmm. and the contest yeah. was over Yep, on day two. Nobody else could win. Nope. It was amazing. Told him we shouldn't do it. Nobody listened. All right, Sarah D. Bunting, <laughs> Red Shoe Diaries or Silk Stockings? Oh, jeez. Oh man, you know who loved silk stockings? Stockings? <laughs> My dad. Aww. Big Mitzi What's Her Name fan. Um, that said, I believe the answer is Red Shoe Diaries. You are incorrect. Oh, Silk stockings. Really? November 91, Red Shoe Diaries, June 92. Shocking. Really? Sorry, uh, Joe, here's two shows I always get confused. The uh, sorry, profiler or the pretender? <laughs> oh shit! Recently, both mentioned by Lisa Schmeiser in a post on Bussy TV Week. <laughs> oh my god! All right, I'm gonna say the pretender. Nice. Now I'll give and you I'm a hint, say... here, Joe. The hint is What's that? these shows are two days apart. <laughs> Whoa! <laughs> oh god! Yeah. So extra well 92? done. Ninety-two. Uh, Ninety-six. Oh, wow. Okay. Well, way off. Allison Walker, Texas Ranger, or Dr. Quinn Medicine Woman? (laughs) Oh, no. Oh, God. Oh, God. Walker, Texas Ranger. Oh, no. No. (laughs) Same year, 93, but uh, early and late. Wow. I would have thought Walker was later. Uh, Freak out. Tara. Yes. Veronica's Closet uh-huh. or Just Shoot Me. Oh, oh, boy. Just Shoot Me. You are correct. Okay. Nice. 95? 97 Damn. for both shows. Yeah. Sarah, Judging Amy or Providence? <laughs> judging Amy. I'm shocked Providence. again. Uh, another early 
99 versus late 99 matchup. Joe, the Munsters or the Adams Family? <laughs> oh, damn it. <sighs> Crap. Um, the Munsters? No, but get this. Same month, same year. September 64. Wow. Yeah. Wow. So obviously that means there was a British show based on those earlier. <laughs> if I'm learning anything. <laughs> Uh, those monsters. Um, was that another show? <laughs> Allison. <laughs> yes. Uh, the Beverly Hillbillies or Green Acres. Uh, y'all would think I would know this. <laughs> so hold on. Let me think about it. Uh, the Beverly Hillbillies. Nice. Correct. Nice. Oh, okay. And in 1960. Ooh, that was close. 62. Oh, man. And Green Acres oh. was 65. Wow. Tara. Yeah. Uh, continuing our Everybody Gets Classic Pair-Ups uh-huh. portion of the show. Sure. The Rockford Files right. or Columbo. Columbo? <laughs> That's okay. my excellent Columbo. Yeah, that was great. Thank you. <laughs> um, this pirate Columbo. 1973. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> oh, no. 68. Shit. 74 wow. for the Rockford oh, Files. Oh, gosh. Uh, Sarah. Lassie or Flipper? <laughs> oh, God. Lassie. Yeah. Year? 57. Oh, 54. Whoa. Yeah. All right, Joe. CSI Miami or Law and Order Criminal Intent? Mm. CSI Miami or Law and Order Criminal Intent? Criminal Intent. Yep. Nice. That's a toughie. Yeah. Um, the year would have been 02? Mm. 02 was Miami. 01, October. Uh, oh, boy. Yeah. Wow. It really helped the nation Ooh. heal. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Allison, Doctor Who yep. reboot or Battlestar Galactica reboot? Doctor Who medicine woman. <laughs> <laughs> um. Walker, Doctor Texas Who reboot. Mm, <laughs> no, Battlestar Galactica oh, was first. Really? Yeah. I really uh, missed that. Oh four for Battlestar Galactica. Oh five for Doctor Who. Gosh. Yeah. Uh, huh. Yeah. I tried to watch that new Doctor Who, and there was garbage cans that turned people plastic or something. I'm like, nope, out. Yeah. Uh, Tara. <laughs> yeah. The closer or uh-huh. saving grace? Oh my god, the closer. Yep. Okay, the year is nine, no, mm, two, mm, 2000. Even? Yes, 2000. Mm, 2005. Shit! Saving Grace, 2007. Okay. All right, Sarah, bring us into our second score break, Cold Case or Without a Trace. Mm. Oh. Hmm. Uh, cold Case. Mm, what? I'm trace. shocked. September 26, really? 2002. September 28, 2003. You're a wow. part. All right. Let's wow. hear the scores. Oh, my God. It's still so close. Joe and Sarah are tied with six each. Allison has seven. I have eight. All right. So. Anybody's game. I agree. Here we go. Back to Joe. Father knows best or leave it to Beaver. <laughs> oh, God damn it. Uh, leave it to Beaver. What? Father's know best. 54, leave it to Beaver, 57. Would never have That's a little that. later than I thought it would be. Yeah. Uh. 
Uh, Allison, General <laughs> yeah. Hospital or All My Children? Oh, Joe is so oh, mad Joe's right now. so mad right now. Oh, I'm so sorry, Joe. Oh, man. <laughs> now I feel like I have to get it right. <laughs> Will Allison? I was on a major anniversary campaign for the show, so I would oh, know. Oh no! Is it all my children? <laughs> what? Oh. All right, Joe. Let's see if so Joe knows. Sorry. Well, the fiftieth was uh, in twenty thirteen. So, what is that? Sixty three. Yes, you are correct. <laughs> no points. I'll give you a day point for that one. All right. Thank you. Day uh, point noted now. Uh, Tara, Star Search or the Gong Show? The Gong Show. Um, sorry, I was just marking Joe's day point. And I will say the year of The Gong Show is 1969. 76. Whoa. 76, yeah. You could tell really? by the set it was 70s. Okay. Uh, stupid. All right, Sarah. <laughs> Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood or Captain Kangaroo? Ooh. Mr. Rogers. Oh, no. And by 13 Whoa. years, what? Captain Kangaroo God started in 55. Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood started in 68. I've guessed wrong on every one of Sarah's. All right, before. Joe. I know you watch both these shows religiously. Hannah Montana or Lizzie <laughs> McGuire? <laughs> Only one of them did I see the movie in the theater. With me. Um, <laughs> I remember. Uh, Lizzie McGuire. Nice. Nice. I have a sister. Um, <laughs> uh, the year two thousand three, two thousand one. Boy, Oof. wow! All right, Allison, Boy Meets World or Saved by the Bell? Oh, <laughs> okay, <laughs> Saved by the Bell. Nice. Really? Oh, and I want to say eighty-seven. Mm. 89 uh, versus 93. Damn it. Yeah. All right, Tara. Yeah. Blossom or Clarissa explains it all. Blossom. Says with authority. <sighs> despite yeah. only a three-month difference. I know. Um, 91. What? Nice. <laughs> what? Damn it. All right, nice. Sarah. Sister, sister, or Moesha. Moesha. Sister, sister, 94. Moesha, 96. Joe Reed, Lou Grant, or huh. Trapper John M.D.? <laughs> oh, fuck. Um, <laughs> well, like Trapper huh. John. Joe did not work on an anniversary campaign for either of not, those shows. <laughs> for neither of those shows. <laughs> Trapper John. It's never too late. Um, Lou Grant? Hey. Okay. As for the year, um, <laughs> God, I'm going to get this hilariously wrong. Um, 78. Ah, oh, 77, Joe. Ah! Oh, I was literally going to say 77. <laughs> All right, Allison, pay attention to the hints. Yes. Give me a break, okay. exclamation point, or what's happening, double exclamation point. <laughs> <laughs> okay, uh... What's happening? And that was a beautiful time in history. Um, what's happening? Was 78. 76. 76. Damn it. Tara Ariano. Yes. 
WKRP in Cincinnati or a show I've never heard of, Hello Larry. Oh, that was a Three's Company spinoff, I believe. Oh. It was that. Oh, Larry, yeah. If right, I recall right, right, correctly. Right. Yeah, yeah. I'm going to say, uh, oh, shit. This is going to be one of those where they were both like three days apart or something. Oh, uh, God. Hello, Larry. Mm. Shit. WKRP in Cincinnati, <laughs> yes. uh, September 78 versus yeah. Hello, Larry, January 79. So not so close you at were, all, really. 78, 79. Uh, both four months. Four or five mm. months. Um, okay. So Three's Company had The Ropers. Yeah. Hello, Larry. Three's, three's a, crowd. a crowd. Yeah. Is that it? think so three that makes sense three spin-offs three's a company oh, so we get it very meta. galactica also <laughs> Doctor Who. sarah bunting uh both shows i know you love hee-haw or soul train <laughs> uh, basically I, the same show yep. yes basically um I've been guessing my instincts, and I've been wrong every time, so let's go against that and say Soul Train. Mm. <laughs> oh, no. You got double costanza <laughs> Okay, so uh, Hee Haw was uh, the summer of 69, and Soul Train was the fall of 71. Gosh. Uh, yeah. I guess that. Soul All right, Joe. Train! Inside <laughs> Edition or Entertainment Tonight? Ooh. Ah. Oh. Mary Hart's still around. Uh, doing it live. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, I'm going to say entertainment tonight. You are correct. Nice. I'm going to say 1986. Quite a bit earlier. 81. Inside yeah. Edition 89. Oh, wow. Yeah. yeah quite wow. Allison, Nightline or 2020? Oh. Nightline? 2020 uh, summer 78 Damn. nightline spring 80 mm. Tara Ariana 78 yeah. meet the press uh-huh. or 60 minutes oh god mm. meet the press All right, what meet the what meet the What's press huh? meet the what? press can't even hear you meet the press <laughs> um god that was probably like the second show on television I'm gonna say <laughs> 19 <laughs> Like 51? Yeah, you're on the right track. Even earlier. 48? 47. God! Wow. <laughs> and 60 minutes. Anybody want to get a crack when that started? And they broadcast it to the four TVs that there were. <laughs> Crazy. 60 minutes. <laughs> like, 60 minutes about 50 years old? Yeah, it's old. 68. Really? Yep. Yeah. yeah. It's just the longest running in primetime, I guess. Probably. Yeah. Okay, yeah. All right, bring us into our it's next score break. show on CBS. Right. Sarah D. Bunting, The Jerry Springer Show or The Maury Povich Show? Oh. Povich. Yep. Whoa. This is the one I get right. Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 90. One. Oh. Both September oh. 91. Gosh. A few weeks Damn. from each other. Yeah. All right. Whoops. Let's hear the scores. Okay. Everybody has one question left. All right. Um, someone could mm, well just just anyway. give the scores. Okay, fine. Sarah has seven points. Joe has Joe and Allison are tied with nine each. I have twelve. All right, everybody's last question. But here's the thing: four points <gasps> you can get on this question. Oh, Whoa. I'm going to read you three shows. Mm-hmm. You get 
Which one answered first? You get to guess the years for all the other ones. Oh, boy. All right? Yep. And that one, of course. So you get to guess years. All right? Yep. Joe, enlightened the United States of Terra, the big C. Okay. Enlightened United States of Terra, Terra, uh, and the big C. Okay. Um, It's United States of Terra. You are correct, and now nice. you get to guess the year of each one. Okay. Let's start with United States Ooh. of Terra. United States of Terra was 2010. Ah! Oh, 2009? January yeah. 2009. All right. You still get to guess the other two, Yeah, right? you still get okay. to guess the other two, whatever, whatever order you want. Okay. The shows are the, the big, big C and Enlightened. I'm, it's it's just a matter of whether they were spring or fall shows because I remember the Emmy years they were in the big C was oh god um twenty eleven twenty ten damn it okay and enlightened was now is it just the next year um twenty uh, 20- <sighs> 12. <laughs> no, 2011. God you're damn off by one year. 2011. Yeah. You God had the right spacing, just yeah, you're over one year. Yeah. Uh, 2009, Ugh. 2010, 2011. All right. No excuse. That's Allison. <laughs> yes. Here are your shows The Mentalist, Psych, <laughs> oh. and Lie to Me. Oh, Lord. The Mentalist, Psych, and Lie to Me. And as a reminder, if you don't get the first part right, you don't get to guess the years. All right, all right, all right, all right. <laughs> <laughs> that sounded like me. Like the? first, you have to eat your broccoli, <laughs> and then you might get a few bites of ice cream. Pain. The mentalist. Ah! <laughs> Damn. Uh, sorry, is it, it is psych, psych uh, oh, which was two thousand and six. Awesome. Mentalist two thousand eight. Lie to me. 2009. Wow. Yeah. All right, Tara. Yes. Everwood, mm-hmm. One Tree Hill, mm-hmm. and the OC. Right. <laughs> oh, right up okay. your alley. One Tree Hill. What? Everwood <laughs> was first, September uh, 2002. Wow. The OC, August 2003. Wow. One Tree Hill, September 2003. I just think of that show as having been always on. <laughs> Like, anyway. All right. All right. Our last question of the game, unless we have a tie. Sarah D. Bunting, your shows are Life Goes On, The Wonder Years, and Doogie Howser, MD. Oh, boy. Okay. Life Goes On, Doogie Howser. What was the other one? Wonder Years. Uh, hmm. Doogie Hauser. The Wonder Years was first in 88, and the other two were wow. September 89. Right. Yeah. Really? All right. All right, let's hear the I mean, final scores, please. On, but... All right, Sarah had seven, Allison had nine, Joe had 10, I had 12. All right, so Tara takes it, nice but job. let's do our tiebreaker for shits and giggles. Okay. We'll give three day points to the person who could first answer which of these two shows started first. Tales from the Crypt or Tales from the Dark Side? Tales from the Crypt. 
I wonder what the answer is. Tales <laughs> from Dark Side. No, Tara picks up that the points were still there to be had with Tales of the Dark Side from 84 and Tales of the Crypt 89. All right, we have one more. What? This was uh, just four Dave points. Okay. Per Rob's instructions. Oh. So I'm going to give five Dave points. For the first person who can answer which of these shows started first. Flip that house or flip this house? (laughs) Flip this house. Yeah, Joe gets it. Flip this house. July 05. Flip that house. August 05. Wow. Whoa. Tara. Tara. All right. Well done. Okay. That is it for another episode of extra hot great we took hbo's limited series the night of for a spin and sarah definitively told us exactly what happened with db cooper (laughs) forever and ever it is settled we went around the dial with stops at flipping out the odd squad show me a hero the hunt and preacher we inducted deadwood Allegri Pon Part 1 for the canon. We crown winners and losers of the week. And Tara was a winner of more chicken, more egg. Remember. We're listening. I am David T. Cole. And on behalf of Tara Ariano. I puked twice. <laughs> Sarah D. Bunting. <laughs> Distressing circumstances. Joe Reed. Forgive me, enlightened. And Allison Lohuff. I'm sorry about all of it. (laughs) Thanks for listening, everybody. We'll see you next time, right here on Extra Hot Crate. Here's your hardware, and as he looks a cunt anyway, I would like to have this rose. (laughs) (laughs) Oh. This has been a production of the Previously.TV Podcast Network.